And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me, Paul, also, as by one born out of due time, now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For is as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is the word of God. Blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. heart with gladness, see what today is done. Now after gloom and sadness comes forth the glorious sun. My Savior there was laid where our bed must be made, when to the realms of light our spirit wings its flight. 
The foe in triumph shouted when Christ lay in the tomb, but lo, he now is routed. His boast is turned to gloom. For Christ again is free in glorious victory. He who is strong to save has triumphed o'er the grave. Dear fellow Christians, victory. That is what we celebrate on this day. Jesus' victory, which God in his word assures us is also our victory. There is something special about that word, isn't there? Something exciting, something different. The very sound of it. Victory. It indicates more than simply winning. You win a hand of cards, a game of checkers. Victory indicates something more. It indicates success after a long and arduous struggle. A triumph won at great cost. Everyone today wants to be, of course, a winner. Few have the resolve to be victorious. Jesus did. He had both the resolve and the endurance to stay the course, and that is what this day is all about, the ultimate, eternal victory of our Savior, God. It's altogether fitting, therefore, that after that long, arduous Lenten season where we examine not only our own sinfulness, but what exactly, try to wrap our minds around what Jesus suffered. It's fitting that after that long and arduous struggle, that that would culminate on this day in this victory, which God in his word ties also to you and me. So on this Easter Sunday morning, that word of God that will form the basis of our meditation is found in Paul's first recorded letter to the church at Corinth, that amazing 15th chapter. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God, the verbally inspired truth that we have received from our God. 
We prepare our hearts for this study of these words with the very prayer that our Savior taught us that he once prayed for us. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. There is and will never be one single day when it is not good to be a Christian. And yet, of all days, this is the greatest. Now make no mistake, I love Good Friday. What Christian doesn't? Because on Good Friday, we recognize that the payment, we recognize now, that the payment had been made full and complete. That one word that we examined on Friday, to telestai, it is finished. And all that was contained in that one word Jesus spoke just before he yielded up his spirit. And yet, something remained, didn't it? Something was still left, and it was God's declaration, his seal of approval on what Jesus had done. Now, the victory was done. Jesus had done everything he was supposed to do, but still we couldn't know. As we read, those disciples didn't know. Yes, Jesus had said he must suffer and die. He must be crucified, he must die, he must be buried. But they lived in that maudlin introspection between Friday at 3 o'clock and Easter Sunday because they did not yet know, they didn't understand their hero, their champion, their savior was dead. In their minds, he therefore lost. But on this day, There is nothing left. There is nothing left incomplete. We're not left in the dark. We're not left guessing, wondering, was this enough? So remind yourselves of both the plan and the test. The plan was, from eternity, God determined that he would send his son. He looked at mankind, he looked at us, and he saw there is not one that is deserving. There is not one that is free from sin. Therefore, man cannot save himself. He's born sinful, he lives a sinful life, and then he dies. So God's plan was this, I will send my son Jesus. My son Jesus will leave the perfection of heaven, be born a human being, entering his own creation. He will do what mankind could not, would not do. He will live a perfect life, and then he will offer it on the cross as payment for the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins. That was the plan. But what about the test? The test that God had arranged was this. On the third day, if my son is still in the tomb, He failed. If, however, my son is not in the tomb on the third day, 
you have thereby received my God the Father's seal of approval on the mission of Jesus, that it was not only completed, but successfully completed. And that's why Easter is special. Because nothing is left. No doubt lingers. We have God's seal of approval on Jesus' mission. Perfect. I accept it, says God the Father, as payment for the sins of the world. The significance of this day was not lost on the Apostle Paul, was it? In fact, his entire ministry, from his conversion on the road to Damascus, to his martyrdom, his execution in Rome, his entire ministry was devoted to sharing with a world that desperately needed to hear this one message. <coughs> Jesus died, paid for your sins, and God the Father sealed that victory that is yours by raising him from the dead. That was his entire life. He determined, he said, to know nothing but Christ crucified. So also in our text, he expressed that joy, but thanks be to God, and then listen to this, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are several things that make Jesus different, not the least of which is the fact that he is the only human being that earned his way into heaven. The only one. He's the only human being to which God did not credit someone else's goodness to. Jesus lived an absolutely perfect, sinless life. He never failed to do the right thing. He never did the wrong thing. Now, Satan was not ignorant of that fact. The devil knew full well exactly who Jesus was. Always. And his attack, you can imagine, was furious and relentless. For 33 years, Satan knew that everything hung in the balance with Jesus Christ. Could you imagine the onslaught? Could you imagine the, the terrible attacks that Satan and his horde of demons brought to bear against Jesus? Because that was it. That was all. If they could get Jesus to fail, if they could get him to sin just once, they would destroy not only the Son of God, but all of humanity they would succeed in condemning all to hell. They had nothing to lose, everything to gain in that diabolical sense of gain, which is just to destroy. And so their assault on our Savior was relentless. You and I can't imagine such a thing. Do you imagine at times that you're sorely tempted? Think of what Jesus endured. You can think on it, but you will never grasp the full extent. And it was that burden that he carried in Gethsemane, that burden that made him sweat great drops of blood. Jesus didn't exaggerate. 
And when he said to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death, exactly what it was. You and I could never have offered a payment for sin. If we could have been born without sin, which none of us was, we're born losers, therefore, if we could have somehow not sinned, what would we have accomplished? Would we have earned heaven? Sure. Would we have earned heaven for anyone else? No. That took the sacrifice of God's Son. The resurrection was therefore not just a great day for Jesus, although it was certainly that. It was also a great day for you and me. So also Paul's, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit here assures us that Jesus' victory is our victory. God the Father has decreed it. And then he just gave that to us through faith in his son. He says his perfection is no yours. So if you focus on one other word in the sentence we just read, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory, not pays us, not rewards us for what we have done. He gives us the victory through, and that means because of faith that he himself created in us, in Jesus Christ. So we begin, at least, to recognize how vital the empty tomb is to each of us. Because to deny the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, is to deny the Christian faith. Hear that again. To deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus is to deny the entire Christian faith. The Bible is not a buffet. The Bible is not God offers a bunch of different things and we get to, as human beings, go and decide which we will pick and which we will refuse according to our own individual taste, our own individual ideas, opinions, desires. It is true. From first to last, nothing is optional there because it is that objective truth. We live in a world that doesn't accept that. You know that. I was reminded of that several years ago. There was a talk show, and a notable Christian leader was having a discussion with a famous actress, always, by the way, a great source of biblical truth. The names aren't important, but what they said was, this Christian man said, Jesus is the Son of God, you know. To which the actress replied, maybe he is for you, but he's not for me. The simple and yet profound response of this Christian was, well, either he is or he isn't. Think about that for a bit. This actress's silly, arrogant response reflects perfectly modern thought. 
that is the rejection of objective truth, and the idea that truth is whatever makes you feel good, whatever you believe to be correct. That is truth. The reality is, Jesus lived a perfect life, died offering that on Good Friday, that perfect life as our sin payment, was raised bodily from the dead on Easter Sunday, and that was God's salvation plan. Nothing in there is optional. So hear that again. To deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus is to exclude yourself from God's heaven. Because to believe on Jesus, to believe in him, means not just to accept the fact that he existed, it means to believe everything that God's word tells us about this man, Jesus. That he was born, lived a sinless life, died on Easter Sunday, or on Good Friday, rose bodily from the dead on Easter Sunday. And that's not an optional truth because we had no other option. We had no other plan. To deny this plan, any part of it, is to deny the whole. To deny God's plan is to deny yourself salvation is to deny yourself forgiveness. God had only one son. And if that son was not who he said he was, if he did not do what he said he did, then we are lost. This is the ultimate truth of Easter Sunday. Thank God, praise him, that you not only know that truth, you believe it. It's that on which you place your entire hope for salvation. It is the truth that you have found. So many have not found it. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it? When you, when you stand back and objectively evaluate our society, we live in a time, perhaps unique in history, where it is acceptable to be searching for God, to be searching for truth. It is unacceptable to maintain that you have found either. Happiness is today valued above truth. And the world believes that happiness is only achieved when we find what we want not what God wants, when we find our truth, not God's. So the world searches endlessly for its truth and imagines that once they find it, they will finally find, achieve, gain the comfort for which they yearn. And make no mistake, they yearn for comfort because God blessed even them with a conscience that tells them there is a God. And since there is a God who created you, you are beholden to him. But here's another truth. If you search for comfort, you will never find truth. If you search for truth and find it in God's word, then you will also find 
comfort. The resurrection will not, cannot, provide the comfort that God intends it to provide if you deny it. Paul, in our last scripture reading this morning, said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. The Bible's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate truth. And knowing that as you do, it provides you also, as God intended, with the comfort that comes with knowing that Christ's resurrection assures me of my own resurrection. Because it draws us in, doesn't it? God in his word ties Christ's resurrection to us. As he rose, so you also will rise. As he was glorified, you will be glorified. Note in our text, as you read through it, the non-rescindable tone of everything that's written there. It's not as though we might be saved. It's not even that we will be saved. It's you are saved right now. Not you might have eternal life. You will have. It is you have it right now. Listen again to this non-refundable, non-returnable, non-rescindable text. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. This is not a wish on Paul's part. It's stated under divine inspiration as an accomplished fact, a certainty. He goes on to describe what has already been determined. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And when God says must, it's going to happen. When this corruptible body is placed in the ground, it shall put on incorruption. Raised incorruptible as Christ was raised. He goes on. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immorality, you see, he sees it as the eternal timeless God as an accomplished fact, and he's just telling us what's going to happen. When that happens, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. We have one. We are victorious in Christ. And this victory is not just ours, isn't it? Is it? It is the payment that was made for the sins of the world. Jesus won forgiveness for every man, woman, and child who has ever been, will ever be born. What an incredible 
incomparable privilege, therefore. What an unparalleled honor to be able to play a role in telling others of the victory that is also theirs, of giving to them the comfort for which they yearn in that simple declaration of God in the empty tomb, Jesus paid for your sins. On this morning, then, we ask our God to fill our hearts to overflowing with the truth and promise of the resurrection. Christ, the life of all the living. Christ, the death of death, our foe. Who thyself for me once giving to the darkest depths of woe, through thy suffering, death, and merit, I eternal life inherit. Thousand, thousand thanks shall be, dearest Jesus, unto thee. Amen.